Hello and welcome along to this Tenor Square podcast. I'm Richard Dew and I'm going to be talking about Hiroshand and Hiroshand, the decision of the Court of Appeal to the effect that conditional fee agreement success fee uplifts, the uplift part of the CFA, is recoverable as part of a needs-based award under the 1975 Act. So I'm going to be looking at that decision in two ways. I'm going to consider how the Court of Appeal came to the decision that they did. And then second of all, I'm going to look at the implications of that for claims going forwards. How are we going to deal with this, both as claimants and defendants? So part one, how was the decision reached? A little bit of background. You don't really need to know the details of the case per se but it's a claim by an adult claimant against the estate of her late father and, in effect, against her mother. It's not a valuable estate, and the award that's ultimately made by the judge is, in the scheme of these things, relatively low. So it's a low-value adult 1975 Act claim. At trial, the claimant succeeded against, in fact, no opposition, the defendant having been debarred from defending, and that's part one of the decision that the Court of Appeal made. So the judge made some relatively limited awards, nowhere near as large as the claimant was seeking by way of her claim, but identifying specific needs and making money available to assist with those specific needs. He then turned to look at the conditional fee agreement uplift and considered that without making some provision for that uplift, the claimant would be in effect left with financial needs that he had already identified because the uplift would have to be found from somewhere. It was very substantial. It was a 72% uplift. And so making limited provision for the needs would completely fail if the CFA uplift wasn't provided for. That decision was then appealed to the Court of Appeal, and the grounds on which it was appealed were, in effect, Section 58A sub 6 of the Courts and Legal Services Act, which, following the reforms to the conditional fee agreements, provides that no costs order can include a a provision for an uplift under a conditional fee agreement. So on the face of it, what the first instance judge had done was arguably barred by this legislative provision. There were two cases before the Hiroshan case where this issue had been considered independently. In the first case, Henry Clark, Master Linwood, declined to make an award of the conditional fee agreement uplift. You have to have some sympathy for counsel in that case whose arguments were described as having been ingenious. And those were largely the same arguments that were used on behalf of the respondent in Hiroshand in the Court of Appeal, and which succeeded. But in Reclark, they didn't succeed, and Marcelin would found that to award the uplift would be contrary to the policy set out in the legislation. Uh, going the other way was a case called Bullock and Denton, another first-instance decision, where the judge said that ultimately they had to look at the case in the real world and in the real world this claimant was going to have to pay a conditional fee agreement uplift it's going to have to be found from somewhere and if they didn't award it against the estate then it would reduce the provision that was being made for needs so those two decisions well certainly the bullock decision is given considerable thought in the court of appeal decision and largely they followed the logic of that case It's implicit but not actually explicit in the Court of Appeals decision that in awarding a sum of money for a CFA uplift they are not making what would be described as a cost order because that would be contrary to the legislation. But they are of course going around it by the back door and they're doing that largely by reference to similar matrimonial type cases 
where in perhaps lower value matrimonial cases the spouse is awarded a sum of money, a spouse is awarded a sum of money for their needs. And it's, of course, in matrimonial legislation that we have a no-costs regime, so there's no cost orders made in matrimonial cases. And so in those cases, and there was recent authority to the effect that you could award a sum of money in addition to needs towards those costs. And in effect, they follow the logic of that and decide to uphold the first instance decision to award a CFA uplift. So that's how they got there, and that's now binding Court of Appeal authority to the effect that you can recover the CFA uplift as part of needs. What, therefore, are the implications of that in these cases going forward? Well, looking at it, first of all, on behalf of claimants, people likely to bring or bring in claims, I think it must be clear that there will be an increased use of conditional fee agreements to fund these cases and a degree of, uh, I suppose, optimism that the party will be able to recover those sums during the course of the proceedings, ultimately a trial if necessary. And so I'm sure claimants will be much firmer about seeking a sum towards the uplift when you're dealing with them by way of negotiation or mediation. And I'm afraid that does give, in these cases, claimants something of a ransom because even if they succeed in part in their claim, they're going to recover their uplift, potentially going to recover their costs. And so even a low-value claim can have very high-value implications for defendants. Um, But it's not all one way for claimants. It's important to emphasise that the Hiroshan case um, upholds a decision not to award the whole of the conditional fee agreement uplift, but actually only a 25% uplift, when in fact the agreement is provided for a 72% uplift. Now, on the face of it, that left the claimant financially worse off, but I suppose both the judge at first instance and the Court of Appeal rather assume that the claimant solicitors will take the hit between the difference between the two. And clearly, you're going to have to think very hard about where to set the uplift if you're not going to end up with a difficult negotiation with your own client if you're acting for a claimant. And the other thing, and it's really important to emphasise, is that the Court of Appeal upholding the judge said that it was necessary to show that funding by way of conditional fee agreement was the only way of funding the case. And so it will be necessary to demonstrate that alternative means of funding have been explored. This isn't a simple gravy train for claimants listers who have a business model based upon uplifts. Defendants. What are we going to do on behalf of defendants when faced with these claims? I mean, it has to be said it's inevitable that the implications of this case will be more claims, more low-value claims, more low-merits cases, basically on the assumption that sufficient numbers of these cases will succeed with a sufficient amount of uplift for them to be brought. So it is bad news for defendants. How, though, do we react to them on behalf of defendants? I have always been very keen on the use of the Part 36 regime in these cases and doing so really generously. So identifying what a worst case outcome is, not necessarily pitching the offer at that level, but doing so that makes things pretty uncomfortable for a claimant, which really plays on the weaknesses and the problems in their case. Because that isn't only about not recovering the uplift, which of course may not arise, It's about the possibility of getting costs against a claimant from the date of the expiry of the offer. Another thing to think about is that provision that it must be demonstrated there's no other way to fund the litigation. If you think there's another way to fund the litigation, tell the claimant's solicitors. And if this is a case where you're going to end up admitting liability, then why not do so sooner rather than later, and even perhaps offer or agree a sum towards the funding of that claim 
to get rid of the possibility of them being able to say there was no other way to fund it other than by way of large uplifts. And then the last thing to think about, actually, which I think you'll feel is a lot less softer than the last two suggestions, is actually force these cases to trial, because actually forcing these cases to trial puts a lot of pressure on claimants, solicitors. It really makes them focus on the weaknesses of the case. It puts a huge amount of time pressure in situations where they may not recover all of the time that's being incurred in preparing for and bringing the case to trial. And, of course, if it's a low-merit case, you as a defendant might succeed. And if you succeed, then you're not paying any of the costs, let alone any part of a CFA uplift. So I'm afraid if you look at it overall, the chances are that this decision is going to increase the number of these cases going to contested trials. A last note on, on what I think about it. I don't like the decision at all. I've never much liked CFAs or uplifts or any of it, but I think actually this case does go contrary to the legislative policy set out in the Courts and Legal Services Act, and, and I think the Court of Appeal spent insufficient amount of time thinking about that problem. But I don't think this is going to change. This is now part of the furniture in 1975 Act claims, as it seems also to be part of the furniture that you can recover your costs against a husband or a wife in matrimonial needs-based cases. So it's here to stay. We're going to have to find a way to deal with it, and I'm sure we will. So that's all that I have to say about it. Thank you all very much for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye.